0: Support for this podcast comes from Averture ATS, an applicant tracking system that redefines user experience for candidates, recruiters, and hiring managers. Just listen to one of the many ways in which L'Oreal USA has improved their hiring process with Avature, as told by Edward Dias, Director of Recruitment Intelligence and Innovation.
1: Since we've been using Avature ATS globally, we have been able to massively improve our communication rate with candidates during and following their application. Uh, before over a million people worldwide would never get contacted. Um, but with this smart automation and flexible processes, we've been able to change that. And that's been a huge achievement.
0: Visit Averture.net, that's A-V-A-T-U-R-E dot net to learn why global market leaders like L'Oreal choose Averture to extend the candidate experience from shoulder tap to first day. There's been more of
1: scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine, than in all the ages of history. Hi
0: everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 232 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Just over a year ago, I interviewed industry consultant Bas van der Hatred about his research work exploring emerging assessment technologies. This is a market that's moving so quickly, I wanted to invite him back a year later to update us on what's changed. Keep listening for our thoughts on black box algorithms, micro expressions, game-based assessments as well as three case studies of employers achieving considerable success with new assessment technology. Hi Bas and welcome back to the podcast.
1: Matt, it's an absolute pleasure to be back again.
0: For the very few people out there who may not know who you are, could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do?
1: Well, my name is Bas van der Hattod. I'm a, a Dutch, I'm a typical slash worker. I do a lot of things. I um organize a couple of events in the Netherlands, uh, one international and two in Dutch. I uh, advise companies on how to use, for example, assessment tools. And I'm a public speaker uh, all over the world. I just got back from Dubai in training uh, the locals on recruiting technology there.
0: Fantastic. Um, I'm sure the the weather difference between Dubai and uh, the Netherlands is uh, is probably is quite, probably quite remarkable.
1: Yeah, it's 26 degrees uh, C uh, difference. Uh, so yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, the last time you were on the show was last September and we were talking about some of the work that you were doing around assessments so assessments are changing there's lots of really interesting technology out there and some great case studies um, and you've sort of really made it your mission over the last few years to um, you know get under the skin and find out what's really happening so I'm um, really interested to get an update um, on your findings but but I, th- I think before we do we probably just need to set the Seen again about you know why assessments changing and, and why we're talking about it. So uh, what's wrong with the way that uh, we currently assess in recruiting or we've we've traditionally assessed in recruiting?
1: Well, the way we traditionally hire people is we start with a resume, which has no predictive value whatsoever because a resume tells me what you've done for who and how long. And the only two things which actually are predictive is how well you did a job and under what circumstances you did well or not well and so we start with deselecting a lot of great talents and selecting people we think have talents it's mostly the bias if for some people if you've worked at royal bank of scotland uh, it's a positive for others it's a negative the truth is we don't know how well you did there Um, so basically if you're looking at the way we're selecting people we're and we're only taking the last person usually or the last two or three to an assessment center if we do that at all which means that we are not using the most predictive value early on in the process and now with modern technology we have a chance to actually be able to select the from the entire pool of candidates the best qualified and then go into the process
0: So what should we be measuring um, in the recruitment process? How do do we know if someone's going to be a a good fit for the job and, and really perform well?
1: Well, start with exactly what you've just said, a good fit for the job. Start with actually defining what is Are the main characteristics of this job, what are the main uh, items that somebody needs to do, what are the main cognitive traits, psychometric traits, and actually measure that up front and stop by making assumptions that if somebody did the job, that he or she is able to do the job. Because let's be honest, we've all worked with a lot of people who are completely incompetent but had been doing the job for, for a decade or longer.
0: Absolutely. Um, so in this sort of process that you've been going through in terms of trying to make sense of the evolving world of assessment, because there are obviously, you know, lots of technology providers in this space, lots of um, lots of new thinking um, are flying around, lots of sort of potential disruption. Um, what, what have you been looking at and, and what what were your sort of what were your assumptions going into going into this process?
1: Well, my uh, assumptions were that it was um, eventually quickly a lot better and despite the fact that there's a, uh, then, then a lot better than the average resume looking and interview and actually questionnaire based assessment because I'm looking at everything except the questionnaire based assessments. or I look at those as well, but I don't consider them to be the modern technology you know and uh, a questionnaire with a picture which is then called a gamified questionnaire still not that modern. Um, my, most of my assumptions turned out to be correct. Basically, it is possible to um, steer in a questionnaire-based assessment in a certain way. Um, it's not possible to make you look perfect, but that's a different story. And the other thing which is really interesting is uh, a lot of researchers show that if you're told in a, in a research note, pretend to be the greatest of accountants, people don't turn out that well as they thought they were thing is do we actually know what makes a great accountant so my assumptions was was also that we actually had an idea of what made somebody good at a job and that one has been blown out of uh, the sky because in most jobs we have no idea we have no idea about the actual cognitive and mental traits you need for to be good at something
0: Absolutely, I mean that's um, that that that's really interesting, and I think that 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 speaks to a lot of the issues that that companies have with with recruiting and ultimately with with performance and, and retention. So, I mean, what um, you know, what sort of changed since we spoke last year? What what have you what have you found out? How's your thinking changed? Um, are there now some great case studies around thinking about assessment differently?
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Matt. Well, the first thing which changed in my perception is I've been, um, I never liked the black box algorithm, but I actually thought it might be able to work. Um, Right now, if somebody has a black box algorithm, if a supplier has, I'm running away as hard as I can. Um, One of those companies who who does the black box thing is, for example, the one that's most well known and um, I dare to call them out on it right now because actually the US Senate is calling them out on it right now it's called view and the thing view, for example does is they simply they say listen give us your best employees we'll match uh, um, all future employees against certain things that the best do as well but they forget the step in the middle <clears throat> which is alright so they are doing certain things we are seeing certain Traits or are we actually seeing certain traits? That's in the higher view because it's a black box. We don't even know if they put the input data, for example, for microexpression and, and and certain uh, uh, linguistic behavior, that are not translated back to traits, or we don't know because it's a black box, and we can't select on the question: um, Was this is this related to the job, or did we have a bias in the first place and you know, To give you a simple example, I was once um, in a job interview uh, years and years and years ago, and this woman said to me, oh, it's so cool. I-, I see on your resume that you do a lot of volunteer work as well, and everybody I've interviewed uh, does volunteer work, yet I didn't select you people on it. And I was like, yeah, you did, but that was unconsciously. Now, there was no reason that um, altruism would have been a trade for this specific job. It was a marketing manager job. Let's be honest. You don't need altruism for that. It was at a staffing firm and not the most altruistic staffing firm, to be honest. So there was no reason altruism should have been a trade to select on. But there was a personal bias by the HR manager. The thing is that once you start matching all your marketeers um, with a black box algorithm, the chances are very good that the algorithm will pick up on altruism, which was a bias by the hiring manager you had back then, or the HR manager in this case, and it's not a fit for the case. So we need to be able to select those out. That's the, the, the biggest learning I've had, is um, the risk of embedding our hiring biases is too big to ever use anything which you can't you don't see the actual traits in the uh, uh, um
0: building of the profile it's it's interesting that you mention micro expressions there because um i was actually approached by a journalist on Wire magi- wired magazine um a couple of weeks ago who' picked up on the um you know the, the current discussion and um u.s congress thing round round sort of micro expressions basically wanted me to sort of um a, a quote from me saying that it was all that it was all that, that they were all bad and they didn't tell us anything but i think what you're saying there is not that things not that some of the inputs aren't useful but actually if you put everything into a black box algorithm where no one actually knows um, why certain things are being matched to certain other things um, that's that's where the danger of bias actually actually lies
1: absolutely and now on the subject of micro expressions i do have to admit i've tested about four or five of them and uh, the difference between the quality of them is extreme and i mean i've tested one which is really 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 good which is interestingly the one who says she has the lowest uh, uh, accuracy level Um, and that was by far the best Um, and I've tested some which were just complete and total crap to be honest Um, and and uh, I I For example, um, recently there's been um, also an academic research, a meta-research, on all the micro-expressions for um, feelings. So how are you feeling at this moment? Are you nervous? Are you anxious? Those kinds of things. Turned out there was no scientific basis um, that you could actually measure nervousness from uh, um, uh, anxiety or lying or stuff like that. Because, interestingly enough, We show our our state of mind, that was the word I was looking for, and we show our state of mind differently in different circumstances. So if we're angry, we will have different expressions and micro-expressions in a business setting than in a personal setting.
0: Absolutely. I think, I think it's interesting that a lot of, uh, a lot of really good science is now coming in to, to challenge some of the, the assumptions and, and, and PR spin that's sort of been put out in the past. It's, it's kind of really interesting that for decades, um, Myers Briggs, Myers-Briggs profiles have been held up as a as, as a great way of assessing people and it turns out that effectively they were just made up and there's no tangible science behind them but but yet they still linger on
1: yeah no and then the interesting thing if you talk about Myers-Briggs the scientists themselves have always said it's uh, uh, it's a load of bs um actually uh, recently the Guardian published a letter that uh, um Jung wrote before uh, he died uh, saying that um, his, his, uh, his heirs released it, saying that he didn't know what Myers and Briggs were thinking, but it wasn't his thinking. Um, well, Myers Briggs is, of course, based on Jung. At least that's what they say. He says it's not.
0: No, I mean it's it's fascinating stuff. But I suppose before we start geeking out on um, Jung, Jungian um, psycho psychoanalysis, um, um, talk talk me through what is actually working. What sort of great case studies are there? What sort of how are people putting these different ways of assessing people into practice? And um, are they getting good results?
1: Well, the technology I'm currently most looking at, and that's also because the scientific basis is the best. And um, there's just uh, it, and it comes from um, a different side of science. It comes from the neuroscience, not as much the psychology science. That's why those two are still very much in debate. But, um, you know, there's actual neuroscience with, with uh, MRI scans of your brain and st- stuff like that. Uh, 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 as the basis of this is game-based assessments and um one of the most amazing case studies i recently came across is uh, actually here from the Netherlands. is the city of rotterdam and they've decided uh, that they were going to use game-based analysis to recruit a recruiter um because recruitment wanted to pilot with it and and you need to convince your hiring manager and if you're (laughs) your own hiring manager that's much easier so what they did was they uh, built a profile you know what does it good recruiter look like and all of a sudden you're having discussions about what kind of trades does uh, he or she need and uh, to give you an example one of the trades that they said is very important is um, technically it's called uh, attention disconnect Um, We normal people would call it multitasking are you able to quickly switch between tasks? And one of the reasons that's important for a recruiter at the city of Rotterdam is because at any point you will have between 25 and 30 racks, so you will have a lot of hiring managers complaining at your desk, what are you doing for them and why haven't you delivered them many candidates? And so you need to really quickly disconnect your attention from one sit, sit to the other and, and uh, switch really fast between tasks. That was one of the many, uh, uh, but just just to make it, Uh, 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 feasible to to give you an example and what they did was they selected um, they gave every applicant that uh, uh, applied to the job the game based assessment and they had two selection committees one based on resumes one based on the tests so the test uh, guys just said we want the five best scoring people on the test you know and one actually had a perfect score of 100% match with the profile they thought of and um, the resume guys came up with, uh, for the five interviews that we going to do, they had three different candidates. They ended up mixing it up. And uh, the most beautiful part of this case study was they had one perfect resume candidate, perfect experience, all the major brand names, uh, uh, six to eight years experience, what they thought they were looking for. And the 100% uh, match on the actual testing had only six months of experience. So they were like, yeah, this isn't a junior job. Can we actually, you know, he's not experienced enough. Um, they did eventually end up interviewing him. And as you can imagine from why I'm telling you this case study, he rocked the interview. He was so good while the guy with all the experience completely flunked, even the, uh, 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 the interview committee had also people who really believed in resumes in it. And. Um, and they hired the guy with not enough experience, but a perfect test score. He's been working there for almost a year now. And I've spoken to more of his, many of his colleagues and everybody's like, yeah, probably the best hire we've ever done.
0: Fantastic stuff. So, so, so this really works then?
1: This really works. Another case study I want to share with you, and I know you have a lot of... Uh, uh, um, listeners in the UK as well. Grant Thornton in the UK actually uh, changed their internship, I think about two years ago. What they said is we're dropping out. um, We're not selecting anymore on your uh, grades. We're not selecting on schools anymore. Everybody who applies gets to do an aptitude test. And if you're basically, you're going for an accountant job. So if your accounting skills are good enough, if your math is good enough, it's good enough. And we don't care if you're, you know, from privileged backgrounds and you have uh, uh, a private school education or public school education. We don't care about your grades because your grades can be influenced by a lot of things which have nothing to do with your actual cognitive abilities. And uh, what happened was that they ended up hiring a lot of interns from neighborhoods that their normal accountants wouldn't even dare to come. Those people stayed after the internship, did the traineeship, became accountants and actually have now have higher billable hours and uh, have an average churn which is much lower than the average new hire. So basically they're, uh, they make more money for the company um, and they're selecting from a pool of candidates which just isn't going to be uh, uh, assessed if you look at just the schools, the resumes and stuff like that. Can I share a third one? Uh, one of them is Dutch air traffic control. And uh, th- that's the third one where they, um, what do you need to be a really great air traffic controller? Basically, you need to really handle stress well, because let's be honest, the only moments as an air traffic controller that are that, that are critical is when there's a problem. And <clears throat> turns out that handling stress well is not a prerequisite for any kind of university education. So what they uh, um, managed to do, they, they, they started with, um, uh, there's no no, educa- no formal education for air traffic controllers, right? I mean, the company uh, basically has their own traineeship. They used to start a class of 20 to end up with six because uh, they, they, of course, tested, you know, will you be good? Um, because they started with game-based assessments, now they can start with a class of uh, 10 to end up with eight. So the dropout rate, and it's saving millions. But the other beautiful thing about this is they, so they're using game-based assessments to uh, actually measure, do you have the traits which we need? You know, also that fast switching, but also handle stress well, being able to think, you know, anticipation, think two steps ahead. And what happened was that they, Uh, ended up dropping every uh, educational demand. They started in the Netherlands, which you need to finish university. Then they said you need to finish college. And now they're just like, if you've got a high school degree, that's fine. Because we know, you know, being an air traffic controller is all about learning a book of procedures. That's actually pretty easy to do. And it's about cognitive traits, which apparently we don't need to be good at what we call higher education. So what they did was they opened up their entire pool for people who used to, because they didn't fit in the educational system, weren't qualified. And now they're actually taking in everybody who finished high school and say, listen, just do the test and we'll see if you have the quality to be an air traffic controller.
0: Absolutely, absolutely fascinating stuff. And um, I, I suppose these, these case studies kind of lead on to my next question, which was when we were talking about this last September. Um, one of the issues that that we kind of identified was the the lack of adoption. So um, lots of interesting technologies out there, getting you know lots of funding and, and lots of um, um, airtime in terms of sort of debate and discussion. Um, but actually, the adoption from employers was 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 pretty slow or pretty minimal. How's that changed? In the last 12 months
1: it has it has changed massively Matt. and um to, to give you an example one of the dutch ministries is actually my major client right now i mean even the uh, what we should be usually perceived as slow or, you know, governmental organizations are now uh, actually implementing this and to be honest i think the adoption rate is even higher, but a lot of them are afraid to say about and talk about it because, um, for example, Unilever has been using both uh, higher view as well as Biometrics for years, um, and they only get bad press about it. So, um, I think the adoption is actually higher than even I know, um, but um, a couple of major organizations are using this. Um, I know that Arctic Shores has a major client list in the UK, and um, they're actually looking at um, the, 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 the UK military right now. They've got some case studies there. And, and so ba- the, the adoption has gone up. Um, what I've not yet seen is many excellent case studies where they actually are measuring the quality of hire and uh, 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 things like retention rate, which is Interestingly enough, because uh, most companies haven't defined the quality of hire.
0: Of course I think that's the the fundamental problem as you said earlier if people don't actually understand um what's required to do the job and what good looks like that it's uh, it's it's very difficult to to assess anyone for that.
1: Yeah but and, and to to but the other part is Matt, um it would be interesting if we actually knew who are good at a job but as soon as I go into an HR department and I ask you know do we have any data on who's actually good at being a recruiter? Most are like, yeah, how should we be measuring good as a recruiter? Or in the case of this ministry, um, who's a good policymaker? Let's start with this debate about what, what defines good policy. I can tell you the next decade we're not finished about what is good policy. That's why we have elections every four years and change
0: policy. Absolutely, I think you know there's there's a whole new podcast here about you know measuring performance um, and and relating that back to back to recruiting. Um, just as a as a as a final question for for, for this podcast, what do you think's next? Um, if we were to sort of uh, chat about this again in twelve months' time, um, what what might have changed or, or what might be on the on the horizon?
1: Um, what I hope. Will be next is that we'll have much more um, basic job descriptions already uh, funded in in um, uh, in the technology. So we might have a chatbot which actually does linguistic analysis, which is able to select healthcare workers and uh, which is able to select between elderly care worker fit or mental care worker fit, for example. And um, I think. People should be working on that. So I assume that if that's my idea, others will be. Um, and what I think will happen is in a year's time, there will be a lot more case studies.
0: Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's hope so. Bas, thank you very much for talking to me. Thank you for having me, Matt. My thanks to Bas. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find it by searching for Recruiting Future. If you're a Spotify or Pandora user, you can also listen to the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next week and I hope you'll join me.
1: This is my show.